I want what he has this morning. Amen. <laughs> Jerry, thank you so much. Uh, we felt your passion and energy this morning. Very infectious. We appreciate you. Well, good morning and welcome to the Mission VA Ho Church of Christ. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Uh, like Aaron mentioned in the announcements, as Mark mentioned in the announcements, as I'm going to say this morning, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to let you know that you are our honored guest. We can't say that enough. Uh, so we want you to do us a favor. Again, in the back of your pew, there's a card. Please, please take the time to fill that out. Uh, you can pass that card to me, one of our six shepherds. We've got a box in the foyer that you can turn that card into. Uh, we want to reach out to you and send you a note or a text message and invite you back out to this church because I don't think you'll find a finer church in all of Mission Viejo. And if you're looking for a church home, I think you've come to the right place. If you're just passing through, uh, thank you for being here with us this morning. This is a wonderful Sunday morning as we continue on in our sermon series. Before we start, though, I heard the same thing, Mark. Um, I heard our ladies had a great time and a pretty good turnout for the women's uh, conference this weekend on Friday and Saturday. So you stole my wife, uh, and she told me that the material was very informative and the macaroons were delicious to die for. And I asked her to bring me some home, and she said no. So um, we want to say a special thank you to Sharla and to Alicia and to all the ladies, and I'm sure I'm missing names, who helped uh, put this together. Uh, we're very appreciative of you uh, and all the work that you do here. Uh, to let you know, we've got a busy Sunday ahead of us. We've got a leadership meeting today immediately after the service. Dave is going to be heading this up in that, and we want to make sure that if you're free that you can attend that. With that being said, uh, I'm not going to preach too long of a sermon this morning. Some of you are saying amen, but that's all right. Uh, we're going to get through this material as we continue on uh, on, this, on this really neat material. You guys know that it is the month of February, so we are going to be spending our time talking about love. And we've entitled the sermon series, What's Love Got to Do With It? What's Love Got to Do With It? And last week, we spent our time studying the second greatest command which is to love our neighbors as ourselves. So this morning, in part two, I want to talk about how to show love with words. How to show love with words. And again, fellas, just a reminder, Saturday, Valentine's Day. So take notes, okay, men? Uh, I think this uh, sermon will benefit you greatly as we think about this concept of how to show love with words. Um, maybe you've heard this statement before. I know I've had. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Have you heard that before? We all heard that growing up, and it's a, uh, an attempt to help us to become callous when people use words against us that are not kind, that are not beneficial, that, that hurt us. Now, I will say this. Half of that statement is true. Just half. Because sticks and stones really can break your bones, can't they? So half of that statement is true. But the other half, not so much. Words can really hurt a person as well. 
I heard a person once say that for every one negative word that you hear, or someone says something negative you, negatively to you one time, you need ten kind words to cover it up. There's something about the strength of words that really have a profound impact on our lives. So this morning, what's love got to do with it? We're going to learn how to use words, loving words, to edify and to build people up. So let's look at our very first passage of Scripture this morning. And if I had a heading or I had a point before we even begin the passage this morning is uh, this. You are what you say. Just think about that. You've heard you are what you eat, and that's true. But you are what you say. What comes out of your mouth is who you really are. And Jesus speaks to this issue or this idea here in Matthew chapter 12. So if we think about the context of Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was going around to various towns and cities and healing people with all kinds of sicknesses and issues. He came across a guy that uh, he needed some healing. And the Pharisees were there that day, and they said, uh, uh, Jesus is able to cast this demon out of this man because Jesus works for demons. He works for Beelzebub, as some of your translations say. So Jesus was accused of working side by side and for Beelzebub. And then we get to Matthew chapter 12, and this is Jesus' response to the Pharisees there at this time. You brood of vipers. Wow. Don't say that to your friends, okay? You brood of vipers. How can you, who are evil, say anything good? For out, and underline this, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Wow, that's a tough passage of Scripture. I don't think Jesus made many friends of the Pharisees because of his encounter here with them. How do we use loving words? You brood of vipers. Uh, Mike, go to this. Uh, wait, wait, before you go, before you go, I just want to caution you, okay? Brace yourself, all right? Okay, go to the next slide. This, okay, there. Are you scared? I hope not. All right, there. Just give you a disclaimer. Um, this is uh, a spitting cobra. Now, when I was looking through the text, the, the, the word that I plugged in for pictures was spitting vipers. And what I found out is there, there are not many spitting vipers. Usually, the snakes that spit are, are cobras. So in the text here, when Jesus uses vipers, he could be talking about cobras. Now, cobras are very interesting animals. Snakes are very interesting animals. And what Jesus equates these Pharisees to in the use of of their words is a brood of vipers. Now, if you've ever watched the Discovery Channel, amen, like I do, uh, or snake, Rattlesnake Roundup, you know <laughs> that typically when people are searching for snakes, they look under rocks and crevices and they find a den, and usually there's a bunch of snakes in this one den, up to 50 at times. And that's where they hang out with each other and do their snake thing, whatever that is. Amen. 
But Jesus equates the Pharisees to slithering snakes who spit venom at people. And if we're not careful, church, we could do the same thing with our words, with not even really trying. Words are that powerful. They're like poison. They can handicap people if we're not careful. So why do I tell this story? Just to caution you this morning that we've got to be very careful with how we use our words. Because our words can make or break people. And this whole, this whole sermon series is really just talking about how to love people, how to do better with that. And the first thing that we've got to be cautious of is our words. We don't want to be viewed <laughs> like this, especially God's children. But sometimes we can spit poison like the best of them, can't we? We sure can. So we just got to be careful. That's the caution. That's it. All right, now let's move on to the next slide. Mark chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. Another context of this, this story here, before we even read the passage, is, is during this time, Jesus traveled with his disciples, and there was a Jewish custom in place that said, before you eat, you have to make sure that you wash your hands really well. And I actually like that custom, don't you? You ever seen somebody eat without washing their hands? Not very sanitary. And then they want to shake your hand and all kind of stuff. You know, I, I get it. I like this text. Okay, wash your hands. Nothing wrong with that. Cleanliness is great. So Jesus was walking around with his disciples. They were getting ready to eat. Some of the Jews came up to the disciples and said, Hey, we noticed that your disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. And the ceremonial washing, according to Jewish culture, was very intricate. There was a lot of different nuances. You were supposed to pour water onto your left hand and your right hand. And, you know, there was a lot of rules and regulations surrounding it. And Jesus then spoke to these people here, and he said, Jesus called the crowd to him, and he said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what, it is what comes out of a man that makes him, makes him unclean. It's, it's what comes out of a person that makes the person unclean. Another way to really illustrate this is there is a passage, I believe, in James that says, we're all drawn away by our own lusts, right? And when lust is full grown, it produces what? Sin is what the scripture says. And it's the production of that sin. When that sin is manifest, when it comes out of the body, that's when we find ourselves in a little bit of trouble. So I'm going to be transparent this morning and tell you a story. <laughs> One day I was up in Northern California and I was preaching at the Tri-Valley Church of Christ on a Sunday morning. I may have woken up a little late that Sunday morning and I may have been speeding just a little bit. I can't really recall, maybe a little bit, but I'm on my way to church and I'm driving a little quickly, but I'm thinking God may give me grace because... I am a preacher for him, and I've got to go edify this church, right? So I'm driving to the church building, uh, and I noticed that there was a police officer at the corner. So I slowed down, and the church is really about, you know, 50 feet away from where I am at that point. So I take off my seatbelt, 
I take off my seatbelt because I need to jump out of the car and run into the church building. So as I'm pulling up, I'm about a block from the church building. This police officer pulls me over. And he pulls me over, and I'm saying, it's just, it's over. It's ruined. My life is over now. I'm late for a service to preach. They're not going to have a preacher. So he pulls me over, and he says, uh, sir, do you know why I'm stopping you? And I said, why, officer, I just don't know why. I'm driving the speed limit. He said, you, you took off your seatbelt, and I saw you. And I said, but sir, I'm the preacher this morning, and I've got to hurry up and get out of the car. So I was prepping myself to hop out of the car so I can run into the church building. You know what he said? That's wonderful. I don't care. (laughs) That's what he said to me. I don't care. And he wrote me a $300 ticket. That's right. I'm still paying on it. Amen. But (laughs) $300 ticket. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, where is the grace? Right? But I learned a valuable lesson that day. Always keep your seatbelt on when you're going to church and you're running late, number one. But I learned that the police officer really didn't care about my thought process. He cared more about my actions. He could care less about why I was taking my seatbelt off. He saw my actions and my actions were contrary to the law at the time. So in thinking about this whole process of what Jesus says here, it's what comes out of a man that makes him clean. It's that manifestation of that era that makes us unclean. So we have to be very careful what we say. I heard someone once say, I didn't mean what I said. I didn't really mean that. It just, it just came out. Maybe you were angry and you just said something. I didn't mean that. But guess what? I think that's a deception. You did mean it. You you did mean it. You just regret that you said it. Because at the time, you really really did mean it. That was on your heart and your mind. And my mama used to tell me all the time, there's truth in sarcasm. Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) Uh-oh. Right? So we've got to be very careful how we use our words. So as we transition now, I just want to spend some time talking about uh, how can we learn to love people with words? What are some of the things that we can do to help with this process? Because we know, looking at the previous slides, we've got to be very careful because we can spit poison like vipers if we're not careful. We know that we are what we say. So how do we change this mentality so that we can love on people with our words and really encourage them? Next slide that I want to look at is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. And here's how we, how we do it. Um, If you want to love people with words, you have to love people with honest words. With honest words. Here's what the text says here in Ephesians 4. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We love people with honest words. They say that honesty is the best policy. 
And I know some people that say, I just love to be honest. I'm just being honest. But those of us who have been married for a while know that sometimes honesty, if not used in the right way, can get us into some trouble. Amen? The other day I had picked out a tie that I thought was really snazzy. Actually, it was a bow tie. It was a bow <laughs> I heard somebody say, oh boy. <laughs> I picked out a bow tie that I thought was snazzy. It looked sharp. And I got dressed up. I put my dress shirt on. I put my bow tie on. And I walked out and I said, Mary, I'm looking sharp, aren't I? And she looked at my bow tie and she said, um, I'm not really in favor of the bow tie. But really what she wanted to say was that is the ugliest thing I've seen in the world. And you have a really small neck, so you probably shouldn't be wearing a bow tie. But I don't want to hear that honesty from her, right? That's probably what she's thinking, right? But it was the way she said it. Well, that's not my favorite. I think you would look much more handsome in a regular tie. You know what I did with that bow tie? I was like, you know, you're probably right. Let me take this off and throw it away. Let me put this tie on. And she said, wow, now that's my man, right? So I'm probably not going to wear the bow tie. But I really know what she's thinking, right? And on the flip side, fellas, we've had that encounter before where Honey, look at this dress. Isn't this beautiful? Now, you know, you've got to watch what you say, men, right? The correct response is, that is wonderful. You should be in a magazine. That is the greatest dress I've seen. And then, you know, if you don't really care for it, just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to buy you another one. Right? There's a way to, <laughs> I'm saying, there, is there ways to be honest without just saying it out, out loud, out front, right? Because sometimes our honesty can get us in trouble if we're not careful. Now, I truly believe honesty is the best policy, but honesty is the best policy when it's used in gentleness. Can you say amen to that? When it's used in gentleness. Don't say the first thing that pops into your head all the time. You don't have to do that. And I'm still learning how to do that every single day. It pops right into my head, and I have to say, put it back, Jason. Don't you go there. Don't you. It will ruin your life. Put it back in. And I think if we can learn how to be honest with people in gentleness and in love in ways that are encouraging, I think it will go a long way. And that's a discipline that we have to learn. We have to learn to be self-disciplined in that way. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5 and 6 says it this way. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And here what I hear is an intertestamental echo of the story of Judas kissing Jesus, right? Now, how do we love people with words? I think you have to rebuke people oftentimes with words. And I think that's a part of the process, but you've got to choose the right method when it comes to rebuking, right? Sometimes love causes you to have to rebuke people. You don't let your kids just do whatever they want to do, do you? Sometimes you correct them because you love them and you have to rebuke them, right? And some people say, well, when it comes to this rebuke, what we saw in the text is, is Jesus overturned tables to get his point across. You guys remember that account? People were buying and selling doves and other sacrifices that were supposed to be made at the temple. Jesus came in and he said, why are you making my house of worship a house of merchandise or money? 
and he went and he overturned tables. He took a whip and started whipping people out of the temple. And what I hear people say oftentimes is when it comes to rebuke, sometimes we just, we got to do that. And for some people, that's their motivation to be really sharp and harsh. But I think when it comes to rebuke, you have to choose the right method. Sometimes it's called for that. But let me tell you about Jesus. The reason why Jesus overturned and flipped those tables, it wasn't because just out of a moment of passion and, and, uh, and, and emotion. Jesus had been going into that temple day after day, month after month, seeing the selling of doves. He could have easily went up and said, hey, you guys, that's not supposed to be done here. He could have easily done that. It wasn't just a moment of passion where Jesus flipped over the table. I think Jesus was considering the method that he was going to use in order to get his point across. And what we learn in the army is sometimes you've got to use outlandish methods on occasion. You see, this wasn't the M.O. of Jesus. He wasn't flipping tables everywhere he went every Sabbath, right? It was a rare occasion where he had to do it this way to get his point across. So sometimes that method is necessary, but that's on church rare occasions. So how do we rebuke in a way where it doesn't really call for that? Um, people who don't love you, let, just, just remember this. If you don't hear anything I say this morning, hear this. People who don't love you don't care to discipline you. And really, that could be the message. People who don't love you don't care about disciplining you. Have you ever seen, and I'm going to get on my soapbox, but I can do that. I'm a preacher. Um, have you ever seen parents with their children who let their children talk to them however they want to talk to them? Have you ever seen parents with children who let their children do whatever they want to do? And then they say, I love my children so much that I'm just giving them freedom to do that. False, incorrect, the Bible says God disciplines those who he loves, amen? And when it comes to discipline, sometimes we have to do that rebuke sharply. And it's the same way in the church sometimes. sometimes if we love each other, we have to sometimes say, hey, that action wasn't correct, or maybe you should think about this or that. It doesn't take overturning tables every, you know, time you get together. But oftentimes, if we love each other, we know an open rebuke is what we need. And it could be a real blessing if we take it in the right way. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 29. I'm almost done this morning, church. Here's one. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So how do we use words of love or love with words? We use words that build each other up. And that should be on our tongues often. What are you doing right? What are you good at? What are you talented at? What special gift and ability do you have? And we learn that in marriage relationships, right? You tell your spouse you love them often. I tell Mary, you are amazing. You are custom-made. You are a masterpiece. And that goes a long way. <laughs> I'm picking on Mary this morning. And she'll say the same thing to me. You are the greatest husband in the world. You know what that does? It makes me stick my chest out, and I feel like I'm invincible because my wife loves me that much, and she knows I love her that much. And you know what that does to the relationship? 
makes it even sweeter and better. So uh, Valentine's Day is coming up. Tell your spouse you love them and they are special and see what that does to the relationship. Makes it sweeter and sweeter. So I've got a, an, an acronym to help us remember how to say words that, that build up. So it's the THINK acronym. I've used it before. Many of you know it already. So just follow along with me. If you're taking notes, just write down the word THINK. And I'm going to give you some tools that will help us with using language that builds each other up. The T in the THINK acronym stands for, is it truthful? Before you say something, ask yourself, is this truthful? Is this the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Is it twisted a little bit? Is it an attitude that makes you look better? Is it truthful? The T, is it truthful? The H in the acronym, is it helpful? Because oftentimes we use a lot of words that don't help anybody or anything. And we call that venting. Uh-oh. Right? Words should be helpful. Do they help? The I, here's a good one. Is it inspirational? Have you ever had someone say something to you that just inspires you? The I in that acronym is, is it inspirational? Is it going to build up or tear down? Is it going to give people hope and encouragement? Is it going to help them move forward in their life? If not, probably you shouldn't say it. And then the N in think is, is it necessary? This is about that thing of talking too much. Some people just like to the talk for the sake of talking, don't they? Is it necessary? And then lastly, the K is, is it kind? And if you do that test before you use words, I guarantee you, your relationships, your life will be much, much sweeter. And then lastly, before I step down, Proverbs 16, verses 28 and 29. A perverse man stirs up dissension and gossip and celebrate, or separates close friends. A violent man entices his neighbor and leads him down a path that is not good. Uh, do you know that some people like to debate for the sake of debating? You ever met somebody like that? Just likes to argue the opposite of what you're saying just because? They like to debate and they like to argue. It gives them, uh-oh, I'm seeing some smiles. It gives them a thrill. Gets them going. They want to prove a point. That person, the scripture says, has a perversion. Now that word perversion is a strong word, isn't it? Because it's used in Scripture in many other places, and some of you guys know where I'm going this morning. There's a perversion there. Now, by definition, what does the word perversion mean? It's showing a deliberate desire to behave in a way that is unreasonable or unacceptable, often in spite or out of spite. That's what it means to be perverse or to have that perversion. And some people have that just a little bit. It's there. I think all of us can point our fingers at ourselves and say sometimes we function in that way, right? But the Bible says we've got to be careful because that's not what Christian people should do. This attitude is not one of Christ, and it doesn't help in our efforts of sharing the gospel with our neighbors. If you were in our class on Wednesday night um, for the epistles, we're looking at Paul, Pauline epistles. It was interesting because we were looking at the account of 1 Thessalonians. And what we saw is when Paul went in to preach the gospel to people, he went into the synagogue and the scripture says that he reasoned with the people. 
When I, when I hear that word reason, it, it's a word that provides comfort to me. He reasoned. Let me give you a reason why. Not let me show you how you're in error. Let me produce to you the facts on why you're wrong. Let me debate. And in our fellowship, I think uh, Robert Acosta told me that way back we were, we were big into debates, into debates in our fellowship. That was, that was the way. But when I look at Scripture, Paul went into Thessalonica, and the Scripture said he reasoned with people. And in my opinion, that word means it's non-threatening, it's conversational, it's encouraging. And because of that, many people were saved, is what the Scripture says. So in thinking about our job of sharing the love of Christ with our neighbors and with our family members, I hope that we keep all of these things in perspective. We've got to be very careful how we use our words. And I would encourage you this week, as it is Valentine's Day week, just let everything that comes out of your mouth this week be encouraging, be uplifting. When that person cuts you off in traffic, when that person cuts you off in traffic, just say, bless your heart. See what it does. And then if you're married, say to your spouse all this week, I love you. You are special. You are amazing. See what it does. And here at the church, when you run into your brothers and sisters in Christ, you say to them, good job. I so appreciate your presence here at the church. You are such an encouragement to me. And then the honest people will say, you know what? I don't feel that way. I just want to be honest. Just remember those principles, that thought process, and I think it'll bless us in our journey. By way of invitation, maybe there's someone here that hasn't been using their words in the best way, maybe haven't been sharing the love that they can with their words. This invitation is for you. We invite you to come forward. The church will pray with you. We'll pray for you. We're all guilty of being a brood of vipers at times and spitting poison. We're all guilty of it. Nobody is perfect. The Scripture says uh, if, if a man is able to bridle his tongue, that person is a perfect person. There was only one perfect person, and that's Jesus. So that means all of us are guilty, right? All of us are in need of repentance, and maybe you've been going down a path and using your words in a way that has not been beneficial. This invitation is for you. You can come forward. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. Maybe this morning you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not a Christian. Jesus is here to give you a better life. When you come into the kingdom of God, when you have a relationship with Jesus, the Scripture tells me that God views us as his precious precious children, as his masterpieces, as his priests, and that's special. God will encourage you. He can build you up. He can give you a better life. So the question I have for you is, why aren't you a Christian yet? It's the best thing that you could ever do in your life. We've got a baptistry ready. If anyone's here and anybody's ready here this morning to give their lives to the Lord, we give you this opportunity together while we stand and sing the song of